Welcome to Theology in the Dirt, where we try to practice our theology at home and in the public square of our city and our world. Your hosts are Keith Thompson and Mitchell Jolly. Theology in the Dirt is produced by Chris Hayes, and the artwork is by Kayla Sanner. Well, good morning. Thank you for joining us on Theology in the Dirt. Les, we are uh, sad because we're finishing discipleship. Mm-hmm. I'm sad. I love this, but I don't <laughs> want it to be the last time you come on and we discuss things from God's Word. Yeah, I've enjoyed but it. I'm glad you've taken the time. We're grateful. But today we're going to wrap that up and we're talking about knowledge. All right. So talk to us about the base, the layer that every disciple needs. Uh, once they're in Christ, to begin to build their life in Christ off of? There, there's a lot of ways we could approach this. Uh, I think the reason this is so significant is knowledge uh, Knowledge is, is necessary for relationship. Mm. Uh, knowing God is, is knowing in an intimate sense. Uh, and so, but there are things that we need to know. Jesus says in the Great Commission, teach them to obey everything I've commanded so there is a, a transference in teaching of, of understanding, of knowledge, of spiritual wisdom, mm-hmm. um, and understanding, but that results in a transformation of life. Right. So those are two halves of you have to know something. What is it that you need to know? Uh, and that's our knowledge. Right. Uh, that's what, what's the base knowledge. Mm-hmm. We, could, we could do that in a lot of different ways, but I think what you'll, if you want to... Um, do this in a, uh, let, let's just pick an epistle. I was going to say, let's do Ephesians and just run through Ephesians quick. And the context of Ephesians, remember, this is Paul's longest period of ministry that we have a picture of in the New Testament. Right. This is about a three-year period plus time that he spent over time investing back in, either through himself or through, uh, through other people. Uh, sending them back to invest in the Ephesian church and the wider area throughout Asia. Mm. Um, and so let's let's just look at that and see what is it in Ephesians that Paul is reminding them, these are the basics that I taught you guys. Remember these things and how it affects mm. how you need to live as yeah. a disciple. I think, that, I think that's a huge component. It's easy to begin to... Um, over-spiritualize uh, the necessity of knowledge and, and for some people to almost shove it aside as unspiritual knowing. Mm. But the fact of the matter is we're always learning. Information is constantly coming at us. It's not an issue of are we learning? Are we taking knowledge in? It's a question of what kind of knowledge is it, Yeah. right? And so we're, we're shaped by what we know. Yeah. And so if, if there's something to be known and it's going to inform our our discipleship, we need to be specific about it, be yeah. intentional about it. Yes. Right? And so, a light, we're going to start, let's see what is the information that Paul's passing on to disciples. Huge. Um, so, just, we're gonna, I mean, this is going to be a fly-through Ephesians. There's, this is such <laughs> a rich book, but um, uh-huh. if you kind of look at what is Paul focusing on, uh, in, in particularly in chapter 1, right? you see so much of uh, what we would call theology proper. Who is God? What is his character and nature? Mm-hmm. And uh, you see the, uh, God is, uh, is a God who is all-powerful. He's the one who shapes uh, 
the universe, time, and history according to his purposes. Mm-hmm. He's the one who predestines and and calls people to himself. Um, and he does it in a way where he is the sole avenue. He's the sole judge of what is right and wrong, and he is the sole uh, avenue of redemption. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you see that richly in chapter one. Um, he called us according to his purposes, according to the counsel of his will, uh, so that we were the first to hope in Christ. Those who, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. Again, the glory of God is the central thing that we need to be about. Right. That is, uh, that is what uh, the violation or the theft mm. of that glory is. In its essence, what sin is mm-hmm. right. when we put ourselves in the place of God. Um, as though we ought to be the one who rules over everything. Right. Um, and so even, even when he gets down to talking um, about his Thanksgiving prayer at the bottom end of, of chapter 1, it is, it's a Trinitarian prayer, right? right. Yeah. And what he's praying for us is that the Spirit may give us wisdom of revelation and a knowledge of him. So there you've got knowledge, but it's knowledge of the Trinity. Mm-hmm. The Spirit lives in us, but the Spirit's purpose in living in us is to communicate to us the knowledge of God, this, mm-hmm. this relational knowledge, um, and, the, and that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened <laughs> mm-hmm. to the glorious riches and inheritance we have with all the saints. And you begin to see the way that it shifts over to theological anthropology is what we would say in chapter two. So who is God? And then we're shifting over into how does God relate to us? And how does that shape who we are as image bearers? Right. And so you see that in, in chapter two, where it really, he really forces us to recognize that verse five even when we were, <laughs> and so we we are now entering the last third yeah. of the three. Okay, go ahead. So verse five: Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, that this is the the character and nature of God, who is rich in mercy, relates to the character and nature of us as human beings created in the image of God who have violated that image and rebelled against it. But God, by his character, Hmm. steps in and and draws us, redeems us. Um, And, I mean, even in that, we're we're looking at that shift of what, who are we pre-Christ, pre-Christ's entering into our our lives and into our hearts and, and, bringing us into that redeemed relationship in the first half of of chapter two. And then it shifts over to now that you've been saved out of that, out of that horrific sin nature and that rebellion, that active rebellion against God, whether you know it or not, you are now saved into something. Right. And so you're saved into a community. And so the second half talks about our, um, our unity as um, fellow citizens and saints with the members of the household of God built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, 
Christ Jesus himself the cornerstone. And so Christ uh, redeeming the church for himself. Right. I love uh, this is this skill. You can take this down an entire road in a podcast by itself, but the connection between the knowledge of God going now to the people of God. Yes. Trinitarian God, now community. It's not me isolated, saved, but me saved as part of a family that reflects the unity and diversity. So yeah. Got the nature of God to the nature of his people created in his image. And that alone is a massive component in our worldview yeah. in regard to who Absolutely. is God and now who we are mm-hmm. and why that matters. Right. It's huge. Then... Then we move into, um, so given who God is, who we are, and who the church is, now we need to talk about missiology. And so there's a shift over to Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, you who were outside of the household of faith. And there is, there's God's plan being put into place here through a specific people group, Paul is an avenue by which all of those promises in the Old Testament that the God of Yahweh, the God of the Jews, would be the God of all people through the communication of that through his chosen people. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that's Paul is Paul is a a specific person who is helping to fulfill that uh, that that part of God's story which is he's a pursuing God of all people. Mm-hmm. Right. And, mm. and so we're shifting into, um, when you read this, you will perceive my insights into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as, as it has been revealed now to his holy apostles, apostles being uh, here sent out ones uh, and prophets by the Spirit. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I mean, that, that is just, for, for first century, highly segregated Jew and Gentile world, um, and if you've ever been and walked down the streets of Jerusalem and, and passed an ultra-Orthodox uh, Jew and watched them hold their breath when they pass you, that's the kind of thing because they don't want to breathe the same air as you. Mm. Um, that's what we're talking about. Like that kind of separation, like you, your breath is uh, revulsive. Contaminating Contam- me. Contaminating yeah. me. Unclean. Um, unclean. Right. But God is not that way. Right. Um, and God is a, is a pursuer of all of the nations. Mm. Um, mm. And brings us to be fellow heirs. So we move from theology proper, chapter one, theological anthropology, who are we in relationship to God, and how does that define us, and then how does that define us as we become the people of God, uh, defined by our salvation, and then we move into missiology like that. We've got to be about that outward focus toward the, the nations. Right. And then you, you begin, you've got that, that great transitional prayer uh, at the end of chapter 3, and then we start to shift over to what we would call pra- aspects of practical theology. Mm. What are those things that are uh, about our, our walk? Um, and so in, um, our, in the way that we live, how then shall we live? Given these truths, how then shall we live? 
Um, so see. go so ahead. He, so we that Paul talks about um, us being dead in trespasses. He talks about himself um, the way he knows this mystery because it was made known. It was made known to him by revelation from God. He talks about how as born again people, our eyes are enlightened. So there's all this, there's this talk about how it is that a person can know, which is a very different, it's a, the Christian view of how it is that we can know things is mm-hmm. very different than a secular view. Absolutely. And so that's, the, that's one of the things that's so confusing with the world now is it's like there's these differing views of who God, I mean, never mind the atheist who says there is no God. Right. Then there's the whole crowd, even within the Christian world, who say, yeah, there's a God, but this is what he's like. Mm-hmm. And based on your identification of what God is like and what his nature is and what his character is and how he relates to us, Paul typically goes theology first and then practical theology because it informs your practical theology. But if your knowledge of God is wrong, your practical theology becomes problematic. Yeah. And so, um, Hmm. I mean, Ken, I don't know if you have any comments on that. We, We talked about it a little bit, but... What's the difference in um, how how is it that we feel like we know what's true versus what a secular person knows what's true? Um, yeah. So just 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 the very nature of knowledge. How how do we view that differently than than a secular person might? Yeah. Uh, you want to, you're wanting to start another whole topic. Epistemology. Uh, <laughs> Epistemology. Just, just throw that down. Um, right? The only reason I raised it is because it just feels like it's swirling in our world around us. Like, hey, everybody's yes. got facts. Facts yeah. are being thrown at us all over the time. The, the key is like, and we, I think maybe we were talking before this, that the information's coming. Yeah. Yes. It is flooding us. Yeah. We, we, we might know things from a thousand different faucets or or hydrants, so to speak. How does a Christian sort of navigate which is true, which is not true? Yeah. Um, all that, all those things. Mm-hmm. I, I think, first of all, unless the eyes of our, higher, our heart are enlightened mm-hmm. by the Holy Spirit, there's no hope of us actually being rooted in truth. Right. Uh, because our very nature is to revile against truth and to put ourselves in the, na- in the, in the center of um of the world, right? Uh, and to create God in our own image, mm-hmm. uh, we're no different than the ancients uh, who made idols right. in all sorts of forms. Mm-hmm. We we just have we just think we're better because we we create uh, we create gods mm-hmm. in our own image, and it's okay for you to have a different one than me, and um, and that's why we're in a mess. Mm-hmm. But um, I think. For a believer, uh, for a follower of Christ, what is essential, and this would be me shifting over into, okay, given that, what are base things we need to know? Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh, And how would we teach those things to a new believer in a foundational way so that they can start Mm -hmm. to build on it? Mm -hmm. Um, And that is, we need to have everyone who is a new believer understand a basic meta narrative of scripture. Start with creation and understand in a very simple way. This is this is the framework of the whole of the scripture. 
And this is where it's headed. You're laying down in that meta-narrative, not just what to know, but how to know. Right. Because it becomes your how to Mm -hmm. filtering information. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and and it literally not getting into the biological function of the mind versus brain or whatever, but it, it's the how. The meta narrative is. is how we know. Absolutely. And the interpretive lens for everything. Yeah, the, there's the there's creation and then there's a fall. And that a fall is pervasive. It affects all of us, including yeah. our knowing. Mm-hmm. Like our ability to know right things are affected by the fall. Mm-hmm. That's part of us being dead. Yeah. So there's something that has to enlighten us. There, mm-hmm. There's a specific place we have to go to be able to see the world rightly. And even to acknowledge that there is right yes. and wrong. There is a truth that you can anchor your soul right. and heart to. And, and if, even if a Christian who has believed that story is not taking the information through the lens of the whole story, they're going to be off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it'll be very easy to... right not be able to have any way of filtering right the and you're absolutely right keith like we are just constantly bombarded uh, especially in today's age with an overload of information and we don't unless we're discipling with categories through which to filter that yeah, then we're doing a disservice mm-hmm. to in especially in this knowledge aspect uh to the discipleship of people that God has mm-hmm. entrusted to our care. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we're going to be coming up on a break in just a minute. So walk us through, keep keep moving through Ephesians, and let's let's come through that that base of knowledge, and then we'll, we'll come back okay. to our application so of it. We've got uh, a second uh, hit on ecclesiology in chapter 4. Right. Uh, who are the, what are the necessary components that, or aspects of uh, the people of God? being prepared for the mission of God, who are those people and how do they prepare them to grow up into maturity for the mission of God. Mm-hmm. Um, then it talks about um, the things that we cast off, those, those former life things that corrupted us, and, and what are those things that we need to uh, throw away. Mm. And then we move into um, talking about uh, the way that we love one another within the body. Right. And then it it shifts over into talking about marriage and the mystery of marriage being a reflection. It's not a marriage is not just simply uh, here's some good marriage principles, but marriage is so sacred and holy that it actually is a picture of Christ and the church. And so again, theology and practice or theology proper, uh, this that's salvation, you know, Christ redeems a bride for himself. That's, but that, soteriology affects the way that we actually live as husbands and wives. Right. Um, and that's, that's the way that our whole relationship with one another ought to, ought to be framed. Right. Um, and then you've got parents and kids, you've got um, masters and servants. Uh, and so you've got these, can, the, all of these sort of spheres of life are, and how we relate to one another are all being pointed back to. Um, yeah. There's there's a movement from the large knowledge of here's who God is all the way down to the micro, very large, yes. down into now the most basic unit yeah. of image bearing yeah. at its final smallest place. And of course, he ends with talking about the nature of the basic nature of the struggle to live 
because of the enemy that we have. Right. Uh, and so you're, you're talking about uh, spiritual warfare at the end. Uh, and then he, he leaves off with his greeting. But um, so there, there, there's a large, I mean, there's a whole lot of topics covered there. Right. But you kind of see, uh, and if you look through Paul's writings, uh, he always addresses ecclesiology. He always addresses uh, aspects of inter, interrelating. James does as well. John does in right. his epistles. All these epistles are basically giving very similar categories uh, of discipleship. Right. And they're all reminders to people that have been discipled along the way. Right. Uh, then you've got the, okay, well, we need to go dig deep in this one because you're obviously confused on this, this point. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And, you know, you get that uh, in, in all the epistles as well. Right. So, but that gives you an idea. If, if, we, if you want to look at what are the topics of discipleship, what are the basic things we need to know, look at those epistles. Those are catalogs of discipleship topics that should be a part of a discipleship uh, curriculum mm-hmm. or, or a base knowledge. Uh, but I think the most important thing is all of them start with who is God and how does he relate to us? Right. All of them. Mm-hmm. Are rooted in that, and that that's that ought to be uh, the most significant and the first in terms of of order and primacy. Right. When we start talking about what's the things that a disciple needs to know, that's huge. Let's take a break, and we'll be right back, and we'll finish up our talk on discipleship. Okay, we're back. So. Les, you have moved us through Ephesians at lightning speed, right? Yes. So, Tower, this is Ghost Rider requesting flyby. <laughs> you just flew by, right? Uh, so, so where do we go from here with this base of, of information that Paul has laid out for these new disciples? So, if, if you look at the pattern in the, in the epistles and in the book of Acts of what, what's most, what, is a, what does a disciple do first? When they have an encounter with Jesus, whether it's through one of his representatives or through Jesus himself, the first thing we see consistently and what Jesus tells people to do um, if they don't do it on their own and of their own volition is he tells them to bear witness. Hmm. So the first thing that a disciple does is bear witness to Christ. They don't go to a class to get more information first, there is something to do. They, they have come to a saving knowledge right. of Christ, right. and they use that saving knowledge to immediately go and share it with their oikos. That's a fancy word to talk about spheres of influence or relationship. Right. So you see the Samaritan woman go and say, come and see the man who told me everything about my life, could he be the Messiah that we have been waiting for? And she tells it to her whole village. Uh, you see the Philippian jailer who takes Paul and Silas back to his house and, and shares the gospel with his family right. and baptizes the whole family that day. You mm-hmm. see Cornelius, not just himself in his own little private office, having a conversation with Peter, but Peter and those who went with him mm. going and proclaiming 
to a large crowd that Cornelius had gathered. Right. His, basically, he took his entire oikos, his entire, uh, all of his spheres of relationship, work, and family, and he put them together in the same room, if there was a big enough room, or in the same yard, right. and then they all got to hear the testimony of, um, of the gospel. Well, so, so what if our discipleship here in the West looked like, you've now met Jesus, now go, and what you know, tell someone else who needs to know. That's a, that's a game changer yeah. in, in regard to what we look like even as a local church. Yeah, it seems like it grows out of you. We talk about transformation. The first three parts of six parts was heart, mind, and affections. Right? Yeah. There, something happens to you right. that is so compelling that, well, of course I'm going to tell somebody. Yeah. Like how, you know, I just won the lottery. Exactly. Oh, when did you win? The, oh, I won it three weeks ago. <laughs> I've seen you like eight times since you won the lottery. Right. You didn't even mention it to me. Right. Oh, well, you know, I just didn't. No, I mean, this is something that right. is of such magnitude. Right. And I, so the question is, like, how is that lost? Like, why, how can you become born again? How can you, what happens to you in a culture, in a world where the Lord, yeah. you are forgiven of things, like the magnitude of what we're talking about, it just gets missed. And so it's like, right. You, you've been saved six months, and you haven't mentioned it to anyone. And I, I, wonder, I wonder if the reason we don't do that is because we tell new believers that they are not ready for it. Mm. And so we actually are grieving the Holy Spirit by putting a muzzle on new believers that if, if we let them go, yeah. or if we actually empowered and discipled them and said, go and tell— I know you want to anyway, go and tell, and here's what you could tell. So that you give them, mm-hmm. you give them a tool where they can share the gospel. You, you train them immediately in how to share the gospel. Mm-hmm. Then release them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, instead of saying, well, you're not ready yet, you don't know enough apologetics right. to argue people into the kingdom. And I think that's, that's something that the church has to reckon with. Yeah. Is, is are we holding back? Are we putting a muzzle on the most powerful uh, force of kingdom building that God's designed, which is a new believer usually has most of the people they know are unbelievers, Mm -hmm. whereas you and I, most of the people we know and spend time with are believers, Mm -hmm. um, unless we are intentionally going outside of our spheres of relationship. Mm. And and releasing people to the powerful encounter they've had with the Lord and their understanding right. of the gospel at that point. I mean, you, I read some of the things Paul says to the Galatians, how he summarizes the gospel, and that's not a gospel presentation I would use, yeah. but clearly <laughs> he preached the gospel mm-hmm. beforehand to Abraham, saying, and you shall all the nations be yeah. blessed. That never sounds like the gospel I heard, right? Right. But he just said, inspired, without any mixture of error, here's the good news for you, all nations included in the plan of God. Yeah. And you release somebody with what they know at that point and have met the Lord with, it's it's supernatural and he can save them without my my plan yeah. set on top of it, right? Yes. So it's the supernatural part of it can't be missed. Right. I mean, whatever they're saying, the Lord is the Holy Spirit <laughs> right. is moving in it. So we we know stories where people gave an awful presentation of the gospel yeah. and people get saved, didn't have anything to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the Lord's just moving. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. In all these ways. Mm. Hmm. So, 
that's that's definitely lesson number one. Um, another thing is that they really do need to understand what is the Christian worldview, mm-hmm. um, and that's it has it's God's story and how He relates to us. And God's story has four movements: creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. That's that this life is not all there is. There is a life coming, heaven. Uh, and and we're we're shooting for that. Um, and and that's that's the way that God will reconcile ultimately. He will reconcile all things to himself mm-hmm, in right. Christ Jesus. And so that that's the trajectory of history. It's what shapes history. It's what we see from the Genesis to Revelation. Mm-hmm. And it's those four movements, and people need to understand. These are the basic movements mm-hmm. of God's story, and each one of them relates to us. We're created in the image of God. Mm-hmm. We are unique image bearers, totally different from every other aspect of creation. We are at the center of the fall. There's a universal fall, and there's an individual fall, and that affects our lives. It affects the creation around mm-hmm. us. Um, and then redemption is um, God redeems individuals as a people. So there's an individual and a corporate redemption that's happening, and that happens through the sacrifice of Christ. And then all of those, and we're in, the reason we feel disconnect and disjointed in this life is because we are not meant to live like this. Not only were we not created for it, but we're not supposed to stay this way. Mm -hmm. Death is not supposed to be the end. Mm -hmm. There is a God who is powerful and will make all things new and will, and it'll be a feast. And there's beautiful pictures of what that's going to look like. We're not going to have any more tears. There's all of those, those evil people that um, have, that exercise evil against others. Those will not be there. Um, And so there will be justice, pure, holy justice. And, and right relationship with each other and with God um, in the age to come. Right. And we can't know, like, we, there's not enough information in the visible universe to, to know history like that. Like, there's not enough information no. in the world. We can't look at the world and, and deduce from all that we see that there's, um, we can recognize there was a fall because things, everybody recognizes that things are broken, but we just don't know from the world, like, what it was. Right. And what mm-hmm. the solution is and where it's all headed. Right. And that's why we, you know, the Lord in his wisdom gave us the scriptures to help us to give us special understanding of the boat that we're in. Like yes. We, we need, we, we, science can't give us the answer to those, those ultimate questions. Right. No. It can, it can help us understand it. We can understand our world better, but it's yes. all constrained by the scriptures. And that's why we need the scriptures to help us. Um, have hope and understand right practice and all the things that we're talking about. Hmm. So that's, we've got to train people to be evangelists. That's Hmm. the first thing. We've got to train people to be theologians and understand the movements of salvation history. And that's the second thing. The third thing is we've got to make sure that they've got a, a right understanding of the word and the supremacy and authority of the mm. word. Mm. Um, and that's what you referred to just now, gotcha. is this, this revelation is 
um, the way that Jesus puts it, and this is, this is how simple I would make this. Jesus took his disciples and he taught them a whole bunch of things when he went up on a mountain. But the very last thing he teaches them is, he who builds his life on my words is like a guy who builds his house on a solid rock. Yeah. And no matter what kinds of waves of um, destruction life brings against that guy, he's going to stay solid on that rock. But if you don't build your life on the words of Jesus, then the, the life will wash over you and your, the house of your life will just fall mm-hmm. flat like right. a guy who built it on a sand. Um, right. And so that's, that's how simple I would keep yeah. your first discipleship lesson on the necessity of the word and the supremacy mm. of the word. That's how simple I would keep it. Right, right. Because it's a really easy picture for people to understand. Right, absolutely. I think, I think too, discipleship isn't supposed to be complicated. The, the, even in the academic world, the continued, continual development of discipleship that is unattainable, even mm-hmm. by people with degrees, is, is worthless. Yeah. When, when Jesus kept things super simple. Yeah. Not that there's not complexity to things. But even complex things are understandable, yeah. right? And so, and so that, that's beautiful. It's obey my words, hear them, and obey them in solid rock. Yeah. If you don't obey them, it's, it's going to go away. It's going to go Just bad for you. Stand, right? It's going to go really <laughs> bad for you, right? Yeah. That's simple yeah. and profound and yes. doable exactly. in the moment. In the moment. Mm. I, I think we, you know, we think of, we, we need to talk about, give a whole the the self attestation of scripture of its own authority and uh, you know like we could yes you could do all of that and you could talk about how many manuscripts there are and but that is not necessary a new believer just needs to know follow Jesus and his words are life to you yeah this this is um Proverbs three twenty one beginning says um, do not lose sight of these, talking about wisdom and understanding and knowledge. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment mm. for your neck. And here's the part. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. And when you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Mm. Like, That's nice. This is what's there for us in yeah. the Scriptures. Yeah. By seeing the world rightly. Yeah. Um, again, in the middle of the uh, awful storm, I'm, I'm reminded of that picture. I don't know if you guys have seen it. It's this little nest. These little birds are tucked away in this tree, and man, the tree's just being just beat down by a storm, and the little birds are just in there chilling. Um, <laughs> yeah, but that—I mean—that's that what's good, available. Good nest builder. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Right. That's right. what's available to us. Mm-hmm. But it, there's a big if, though. Like, if we choose to live our lives contrary to what the Bible teaches us, it's not going to go well. Yeah. Right. Right. And right. if we do it, yeah. if we seek the Lord, He's faithful and just. He'll He'll help us. Another thing that's I I find to be absolutely essential, uh, and you see it over and over again uh, in the epistles, is there is a a reaffirmation of of salvation being tightly held, our salvation as individuals being tightly held in the hands of God. Mm -hmm. We cannot escape the love of God. Once we have stepped into and are placed in his hand, that's not to say there aren't warning passages in the book of Hebrews or other things like that, but you see um, 
John 10, those that the Father has given me, none will be able to take out of my hand. Right. Uh, there is a need for assurance. Mm -hmm. yeah. that, and assurance is absolutely critical because persecution is also a part of the Christian life. You will be slandered. You will be maligned. People will mock you and spit on you. And some people will experience more than that. They'll lose jobs. They'll lose housing. They'll lose uh, economic benefit. Or, and they will, yeah. um, some people in some places will be physically harmed yeah. uh, to the point of death. Assurance isn't natural to this state of the world or anything in it. Yes. My just personal experience, nothing I've ran across other than a uniquely Christian worldview offers any level of security right. at mm -hmm. all. I even wrestle with it now, and I'm claimed to be in the truth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, But you keep running across those passages. He is able to save to the uttermost yes. those who draw near to him through Christ, right? And, and if it's not for those anchors, be off the rails. Mm -hmm. Right. Nothing offers assurance right. apart from... Right this unique salvation in Christ. Yes, human beings will choose st stability and certainty over almost anything. Yeah. Right? We'll give up liberties. We'll give up freedoms. We'll give up all sorts of things to know that this thing is certain. Yeah. And I just need to know that the kids, are, kids long for stability. Right? They do. Um, human beings long for stability. And the Christian worldview is the one, like right. the only one, yeah. that can offer certainty. Yeah. Like you look at all, even the other monotheistic religions, they they're like, well, maybe. how can you how can you know you're going to be safe, man? You just got to live your best life. You got to hope, yeah, that at the end, yeah, God is going to find you faithful and forgive or whatever. Right. It's utterly unique. Yes. Like, even though even the Eastern worldviews, yeah. you know, Hinduism, but all that, none of those guys have certainty in no. there. None. No. Uncertainty comes with the fall. Yeah. Yes. It, it, it is part and parcel of chaos. Of, yeah. Chaos. Yeah. That's it. That's it. The love. So you can assure in Christ this is settled. Yes. Yeah. You can rest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So those are, those are some basic things. Another one that's essential. So we've got word, but the other thing that is part of the weaponry that we see here in Ephesians. Uh, chapter 6, in terms of the whole armor of God, is there's two offensive weapons. There's the Word of God, and there's praying in the Spirit. Those are the two offensive weapons against the onslaught of the evil one and all the doubts that he creates and all the ways that he rails against us and life rails against us. Mm. We need prayer, and we need the Word. Mm. And those two things are both... Uh, if you want to look at uh, John 14 to 17, Jesus flows in and out of talking about obey my commands, and uh, he models what prayer is. And both of those things we have um, access to through the Spirit of God, which is placed in us as a deposit mm. of the assurance to come. Mm. Mm. Praying in the Spirit. So that's another podcast. However, which we're, as we're coming short on time, praying in the Spirit. Give, give a, give a two-minute summary of praying in the Spirit. Um, praying in the Spirit is um, slowing down your prayer enough when we don't even know what to ask for mm. to say, 
what is it that I ought to be communicating with God about? Mm. Uh, that's, that's the simplest way I can say that's what praying in the Spirit is. Mm. There it, you're slowing down to have a, a conversation with God and allow God to help you to even know what you ought to say back to the Father. And, and yeah. there's a whole beautiful picture of that where the Spirit intercedes for us with words that we cannot, or groans that words cannot express. Right. And we also see that Jesus is interceding for us before the Father. Mm-hmm. So that is mind-blowing in itself. Yeah. Spirit is interceding for us, and we need to listen in to what the Spirit is saying on our behalf before the Father. And the Son is praying to the Father on our behalf, interceding on our behalf before the Father. And those things ought to inform the way that we step before the Father and ask for things. Slowing um, down and getting quiet enough to listen in on that. Yeah. And getting in, in line. But if I was going to teach a, a new believer how to pray, this is how I'd teach him how to pray. I would say, first of all, you need to know that God's your dad. And your dad... If you go to your dad and you say, hey, I would like a fish to eat, God's not going to give you a snake. Your dad wouldn't give you a snake, right? Mm -hmm. If you want a piece of bread, he's not going to give you a rock instead. You know where that's coming Mm -hmm. from, right? Right. It's from the Sermon on the Mount. Right. That's that's how simple I would make it, Mm. is your relationship when you go to have a conversation, you're having a conversation with a loving dad. Mm. And that's, that's what prayer is. Now, what are those aspects of prayer? Uh, We've gone over those before, five parts. Praise God for who he is. Thank God for what he's done. Confess our sins to God. Pray for others and pray for self. That's Mm. a simple way to make sure that we've got the fullness of all the things we ought to communicate with God about. Mm. Um, And I would take a new believer through, okay, we're going to praise God, and I'll say one sentence, and then you say one sentence. And we're going to thank God, and I'll say one sentence, and you say one sentence, yeah. and just go that way. Yeah. Um, because, and then I would look at a model, and all of those aspects of prayer are in the Lord's Prayer. Mm-hmm. And so you can just say, see, they're all right here. This right. is how Jesus taught us to pray. It wasn't a long, big, right. huge, right. lofty prayer. Right. Um, it was lofty in the sense that it was rooted in heaven, right? right? right. And all of the authority sure. of the Father yes. and His glory in heaven right. is what we're supposed to ask for here. Yeah. But it's also like, I need a piece of bread today. Yeah. It's yeah. achievable by anyone. Right. Yeah. I'm always, I'm always uh, intrigued by the models of prayer in the scriptures are not long. They're very short. They're, they're not impressive mm-hmm. in their language. Now, who you're talking to is highly impressive. Yes. And the mm-hmm. fact that that is present is impressive, but they're simple. And, and Jesus even warned us to not pray like unbelievers pray, thinking they'll be heard for their many words. Many words. And then he gives mm-hmm. you this short, to the point, get after it. But that component of listening is, is where the length in prayer comes yeah. from. Not And then I have a lot to tell mm-hmm. God, but because I'm not informing him. I'm not his CIA agent here on this earth to inform him of what's going on. Uh, He knows what I need before I ask. So I come and I listen, and this is good. So let's wrap up with some final thoughts. Les, give us some final thoughts, and then Keith, and then we'll we'll wrap up. My last thought is that that discipleship ought to include the church. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, because we're not redeemed as individuals. We're redeemed as a member of a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And so our, our citizenship is a transfer from whatever earthly citizenship or allegiances mm-hmm. we have to an ultimate allegiance to the kingdom of heaven. And that is what's most precious. And so, and when we are brought into that, there are things that we do when we gather as the body, and there is a purpose to that church uh, that is uh, supposed to be, and we see, uh, I would use uh, the story of um, Acts chapter 2, the first day of the church. What did they do, and what were those things? And Mm. that's where you would get into the baptism and the Lord's Supper and Mm. the teaching um, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, all of those things you see in Acts chapter 2 uh, depict the activities of what the body of Christ does, what the church does. And that's another basic aspect of discipleship that contains within it a lot of things. Um, but it, if you don't do your ecclesiology early, then you're not going to get to baptism, which we see as the pattern in Scripture is a very early baptism. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Very quick. This is so good. there's there's a lot, but um, there's also a pattern which we see that's got that's basic, mm-hmm. um, and it doesn't need to. And I hope that you keep hearing me say this. There's an infinite lifetime of growing deep in these things, but when we give people the milk, we need to hit these topics with just a simple one story. Um, and that also gives us the ability to just keep the hermeneutical process mm-hmm. simple. Yeah. So you give one story and then that's simple, and then you help them to unpack the process of mining out the truths from that story. Mm-hmm. And as long as they've got the meta narrative as part of the discipleship with those four movements, then they're going to be able to, to stay on course and not go off into some weird heresy. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially if you give, give an opportunity for to not spoon feed them, but let them practice with you. What does it say? Um, what does it teach us about God and man? And then what you need to do to obey. Mm-hmm. That's good. Keith, final thoughts. Yeah. So um, knowledge, you know, the, for the three of us around this table, we all enjoy these things. We, we right. enjoy talking about things, but you know, this thing, this podcast called theology and the dirt, because we think it's for everybody. Um, and what, the longing would be that everyone would become hungry for mm-hmm. the scriptures and become hungry for the things that maybe in their past, it was like, man, that's just for other people. And this particular piece where we're talking about knowledge, it can cause people to sort of tune out. Like, that's not my deal. You yeah. know, it's not my gifting or whatever. And so I, I think the, the image that comes to my mind is just how helpful it is and how super practical it is. I mean, you go through the, the Paul goes through the theology first. Right. Because it's going to build an understanding of the world that will enable us then to walk in it in a way where we yeah. can experience the rest and the mm. peace and the things that God has promised us and long for that day when that knowledge brings us ultimate fulfillment. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it's almost like entering into a minefield where you've got, it's a fallen field. Like right. there's, to hope for a field that doesn't have mines in it is just useless. Like yes. Yeah. It's not, it's, it's a waste of time. Right. To acknowledge that, yeah, we live in a, a broken world. And so we need information. And we, there's not, we can't rely on the next guy's information. Right. The Lord has yeah. given us the ability through the Spirit to know how to navigate these things 
Right. And the map that he's given us isn't burdensome. That's right. It's not something that we go, no, God, I just don't want to do this. <laughs> this, is, this is life to us. That's right. And it's, it's the way in which we're going to get to the other side with all of our limbs intact. And our, this, is, this is good stuff, right? That's right. And it's not lofty so that some of us can achieve it and some of us can't. Right. It's just, it's super practical for everybody. And that my longing is that folks would see the scriptures that way. Um, because, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's that that's going to make us just long for the Lord and be thankful and, and all that. Yeah. Amen. That's good. Well, Les, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. This and, has been uh, a pleasure. It's been a joy. Keith, good, mm-hmm. good last word. Yeah. And guys, thank you for listening. We're grateful for it. Hit us up, theologyinthedirt at gmail.com if you have any questions you'd like us to address, and we'll be glad to get after them. We'll see you next week. Hey, thank you for listening to Theology in the Dirt. You can email us at theologyinthedirt at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you with some feedback and perhaps some questions if you'd like us to tackle. We'll see you next week. And until then, deuces.